0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Uh, We're in the middle of a series on the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I want to uh, just, for us to pray it first, and then for us to just talk about it. So let's just pray this together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. So this is part six of our series um, looking at this incredible teaching uh, that Jesus gave us, Um, not just about words to pray and words to pray by rote as we've just sort of prayed them now, but words that are meant to be a guide, they are meant to be a structure for us to pray together, something about how we pray them and how we pray and think about the ideas in this prayer are meant to really impact our lives and give us a... uh, a really solid journey in prayer. Um, and, and this is actually, I think, more relevant than, than we think, like we're a group of Christians for the most part, probably listening to this talk, but prayer is actually relevant to a really broad spectrum of people. In a 2014, study by Pew Research, um, of course things have changed quite a lot since 2014, but uh, the fol- there's following statistics were of note. Uh, one, while only 52% of millennials look to religion in any form, Uh, for answers in their lives, around 62% of millennials claim to pray. So that's pretty interesting. Religion has nothing to do with their lives, but a whole whack of them uh, still pray. One in five people who claim absolutely no religious affiliation whatsoever, uh, statistically, uh, statisticians uh, call them nuns, so no religious association whatsoever, one in five of those um, still claim to pray actually daily. So, if you're talking to uh, the average sort of secular person on the streets in Canada, probably uh, you know one in five of those people, or twenty percent of those people. Uh, who would claim no faith whatsoever, still, at some level, are trying to talk to God. They're acknowledging something greater than themselves to have conversation with. So that's pretty fascinating. What's what's equally fascinating is what people pray about. Uh, from the same study, um, and actually echoed as well in a study by Lifeway, um, the 70%, 74% of people say that they pray in general for their own needs and difficulties. That's a fairly obvious one. 41% they pray in, say that they pray in general for their own sin. Well, that's a pretty significant portion of the population. Of course, these are American statistics who are concerned about their own sin and bringing that to the Lord. But here's some fun ones. 21% of Americans pray to win the lottery. So, that's an interesting, like a fifth of the population is on their knees praying, Lord help me win the lottery. Uh, 20% pray for success with things into which they have not put any effort. So, I have not studied for this exam, Lord help me with this exam. I've not prepared for this work presentation, Lord help me do this work presentation. So, when we're in trouble like that, We tend to pray. Uh, 15% pray for no one to find out about a bad thing that they've done. Lord, keep my secrets. Right? Don't tell on me. I don't want anybody to know what I've done. Um, 14% pray for vengeance on others. That's fairly interesting. Like, that sounds a little scary. Okay, that's all right. Uh, 13% pray for a favourite team uh, to win a game. 7% pray not to get a parking ticket and another 7% pray not to get a speeding ticket. So there you go. We have, this is what Americans and probably we Canadians echo our American friends, except we're maybe even more secular. These are the things that are on our hearts. These are the things we pray about. So we're pretty good about praying about whatever seems to come to our minds. We're pretty good about praying about what we feel like our felt needs are. These are the things that we feel like are our daily bread. And so this is what we pray about. Um, Jesus obviously is teaching a different way. Um, when he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he's actually given this—this, this, like we said, this really beautiful structure that's meant to guide us uh, deeper in prayer and to help us to pray in uh, a little bit more of a meaningful and, and actually more of a relevant way. Um, The illustration that we've been using over the past number of weeks is of a trellis. A trellis is a wooden structure that you might lean up against your house and um, plant a vine at the bottom of it, and the vine will grow up the trellis. It will sort of grow up the first rung, grow up to the sides a little bit, grow onto the second rung, grow up the third, and it'll begin to climb the wall. And the Lord's Prayer is like that. Um, we pray at the prayer in order. And when we get to things like, say, the first rung, which is our Father who art in heaven, rather than just praying on to the next idea, we spend time praying our prayers, the vine of our prayers, around that rung. So when we pray, pray oh, our Father who art in heaven, we're saying, hey, God, we want to see you as a dad. We want to see you as a father who really loves us affectionately and cares for us as we pray. That changes the tone of how we pray. We want to see you as the leader of our family. We want to see you as the leader of our household, uh, the person who is giving us direction on how we sort of tend the flocks, tend the farm, tend to the family business. Um, our Father, who art in heaven, we want to pray Uh, To our Father, we want to recognize that we're praying with our siblings, we're praying with other people, that we're not just praying for our own needs, we're praying as part of a community. And as we pray and think about all of those things, then that changes the tone of our prayer, and it changes the way we pray the next thing. We pray next, hallowed be thy name. And so we begin to pray, Lord, I want your name, your objectives, your glory, your beauty to stand out above my own. All of the other things that I love, all of the other things that I care about, all of the other things that I'm interested in. And if you are among those things, my life is a swirl of confusion. So I want to hallow your name. I want to separate it and raise it up above all of my other loves so that my life can be directed and healthy and, uh, and my mind and my thinking and my vision can be clear. And so when we get to our Father, or, or sorry, when we get to, um, not thy kingdom come, when we get to uh, give us this day our daily bread, when we get to that part of the prayer, we've already prayed some very unselfish prayers. We've already prayed some very significant prayers that orient our lives around the coming of God's kingdom, the doing of His will, the glorifying of His name. So when we pray, um, how, or when we pray, uh, "Give us this day our daily bread," um, what we're really saying is, "Give us our provision, the provision that we need, the things that we need." Not to make us happy, not to make us comfortable, not to uh, meet selfish or foolish needs that we have. We're praying, give us this day our daily bread uh, so that we will be strengthened and empowered to do the work of the kingdom, to do the work of our Father, to do the things he's called us to do. So our orientation towards the kingdom changes what we are praying for and what we actually see our needs to be. Uh, It's a very, very different way to pray. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to pray kingdom-oriented prayers compared to self-oriented prayers? What does it mean to pray mission-oriented prayers uh, compared to... um, you know, my, sometimes my selfish and foolish prayer, sometimes my my perceived needs. And so there's a, there's a three things, really, that I see there in the text, and it's the text surrounding uh, the Lord's Prayer that I think can maybe give us a little guidance on what Jesus is getting at here. And the first thing uh, I can see is that mission-oriented prayer for provision is characterized by trusting God's time frame. Mission-oriented prayer for provision is characterized by trusting in God's time frame. The first thing we see about this idea to give us this day, our daily bread, is that this is a daily thing, that this is a today thing, that this is a now thing. That repeated idea, day, in this one very tiny phrase is quite powerful, Um what I think Jesus is saying here is that he wants our lives to be much, much more like Bilbo's journey in The Hobbit than he does like an episode of Orders. He wants our lives to be much more on mission and on adventure and trusting him day to day than he does like being a A people who have all of our needs and all of our anticipated needs and all of our foreseen needs stored up and put in our cupboard and ready to go just in case anything bad happens. We are to go out and find the adventure that God has for us and meet it. And so we have this incredible story of this hobbit written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and he's, uh, you know, had this conversation with the dwarves and he knows he's got to go and and help them. He's so nervous about it. He's not going to leave. He's so anchored in his hobbit hole and his pantry and his food and all of the stuff that he's got. But he finds himself one morning waking up with this incredible desire to go on this adventure, uh, shoots the door of his house open, grabs his pack with hardly anything packed in it. He hasn't got a cloak. He hasn't got a handkerchief. and he goes running down the road to catch up with the dwarves who are already on their way. Uh, he knows when he has uh, gone out that door that he does not have everything with him that he needs to complete a journey of hundreds of miles. He knows that he's going to have to meet provision along the way. And when we see the story, uh, we see him continually having to tighten his belt. That's often described in the story. And then we see moments where there's provision and there's feasting. So there's two kinds of food always in these stories. There's moments where there's not much food and they're eating something called whey bread, just a little bit of stuff that you can bring with you on the journey. Then there are moments of celebration and feasting along the way. But the journey is moving. And I think that's what our journey in the kingdom of God is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a moving journey. We simply can't bring our hobbit holes with us. We can't bring our homes with us. So a really good question for you to ask in this moment is, what adventure might God be calling you on that will cause you to leave your comfort? What mission might he be calling you on? What mission might he be calling you to support? What uh, task might he be calling you to do that would maybe take your time and your energy away from uh, providing abundance for yourself? That might take your time and energy away from accumulating money and resources for your future. What adventures are you missing? while you're holding on to uh, provision for tomorrow. What Jesus is doing when he looks at this story is he's pointing us back to the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. He's pointing back to the story of the Israelites having left Egypt, two million people roughly, uh, leaving Egypt, they're slaves that they've escaped. Uh, They have to leave so quickly that they don't have time to let the bread rise. They just take the flour and the water and they mix it and they cook it. We're gonna celebrate communion a little bit later today they celebrate Passover with unleavened bread because they left in such a hurried way. When they finally got out there and crossed the Red Sea and got on their journey and their provisions were running out, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, how will you provide for us on this crazy journey of freedom, this crazy journey of exodus that we have? And the Lord says, I'm going to provide manna for you. And each day uh, while they slept, uh, having fallen from the sky or sprung out of the ground, I don't really know, this white substance uh, covered the ground and it was food and sustenance for 2 million people. I mean, it's called manna and when they're asked what manna is, it's like manna, the word itself means what is it? So someday, some guy woke up, saw this white stuff on the ground and tasted it and, and, and said, what should we call this stuff? And the guy beside him said what is it? He says, I know, like, but what should we call it? And the guy said, what is it? But what should we call it? What is it? Well, what is it? It's this weird unknown stuff, but it was provision. It was God's gift to them in that moment. God's gift of sustenance, God's gift of life. And they were instructed really clearly on their journey. They weren't allowed to hoard it. They weren't allowed to carry enough through for the next day. They had to pick up the camp, move on forward in their journey, uh, and trust that the Lord would provide manna the following day. And very often, God wants to lead us as his disciples like that. We don't always know uh, what needs are ahead of us, but we can trust that he will provide because he loves us. So our prayer is a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, I think you might have adventures like that ahead of you. Adventures in ministry, adventures in giving. We as a church have those kinds of adventures ahead of us. We may be called, well, when we started this church, Anna and I, we didn't know how it was going to be funded. We didn't know if we could do it. We didn't know anything. We just moved to Carlton Place and said, let's plant a church. And and and, and we did it. And the Lord provided step by step. He provided through you guys. He provided through miracles. He provided through surprises. We didn't know. We didn't have a church plant you know, two years of funding in a bank for us. We, we just had to trust the Lord and and have crazy financial adventures to do it. And there's more for that for OEV to grow into what he has called for us. We might be called uh, to take a piece of land and, and own it before we know that we can put a building on it. We might be called to start ministries that we don't know uh, where they'll go or where they'll lead before we know how to fund and fill them and volunteer them. We may be called to start many things before we know exactly how it will work. But that is the journey of disciples. So that first part uh, of the journey, give us this day our daily bread, is saying that mission-oriented prayer for provision is, is just has to be characterized by trust. It has to be characterized by walking with him uh, day to day. The second thing we see is that mission-oriented prayer for provision is characterized uh, by trusting in God's knowledge and ability. It's characterized by trusting in God's knowledge. We actually don't know in in a very real way. We don't actually know what our needs are. Uh, Our desires are so confused uh, often with the reality of mission that God has ahead of us. We don't know what need will be around the corner. We just know what we feel like we need right now, what might comfort us, what might make us feel happy, what might make us whatever. Um, But God has specific uh, provision tied to the mission, uh, ready and waiting for us. so we can trust that he understands our actual needs uh, better than we do. If you read Matthew chapter 6, again, this is right in the same chapter, just following the Lord's Prayer by li- just a little bit. It reads like this. So do not worry about your life, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. They run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about your life. You know, so often uh, our prayers are so anxious. There are many times when I am uh, kneeling and praying before the Lord, and I'm not actually kneeling and praying before the Lord. I'm kneeling and stressing before the Lord. I'm kneeling and worrying before the Lord. And so often when we're in that state of praying without trust, praying without believing that He knows more than what we know, uh, our prayers very, very quickly, and you will have experienced this very quickly shift to problem solving and that's the thing that derails our prayers almost more than anything at least that's my experience is I can be praying Lord will you provide for this thing that I think we're going to need and immediately my mind shifts to how can I provide for this thing that we think we're going to need I'm not actually trusting him in that prayer and when I get up from prayer I am very quickly running after that thing that I think I need very quickly running after to making decisions to make that thing happen. It's good to be a proactive person. It's good to be a decision maker. It's good to be somebody who is working and doing things. But the Lord in this text is showing us that um, we can't spend all of our time and all of our lives running after provision because if we do that, we won't actually run after and follow and do the mission. A great way to understand this is imagining an army. Imagine an army that was all supply chain and no soldiers. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine the general saying, okay, guys, over there, we need to get the production going. We need to make some bullets. We need to make some guns. We need to get some food grown. We need to get it packaged up. We need to get that all done. We need to get the ships loaded. We need to get that across the ocean. We need to get everything going. We need to get the trains running. We need to make that all happen. Um, But do we have anybody left who knows how to shoot a gun? Did we train any soldiers? Do we have anybody who is doing the work that the army needs done? And very often we pray ourselves just absolutely bonkers around the supply chain. And we forget that we are meant to be on the mission. God is calling you to be His hands and feet. He is calling you to be caring for people in real time. And if 99.9% of your life is oriented around provision and 1% is oriented around the mission, you're probably missing something beautiful uh, that God has for you. He knows your needs. And you can trust him. Not only can you trust that you don't need to run after the things that you need uh, like the pagans do, you can trust that he knows what you need and you can trust that he is able to manage the supply chain. You can trust that he is able to provide for you And time and time again in our journey in ministry. um, and, And we've made lots of mistakes in this and we've had lots of doubt and we've done lots of foolish things too, but lots and lots of times in our ministry. We've said, I don't know how to pay for this, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to do my job today and trust that somehow when I get home, there will be some food on the table. That's just been our reality as pastors uh, at times. Um, And and we just know that God is amazing in that. Uh, The third thing that I think we can see in this text around the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew chapter 6.26 is that mission-oriented prayer For provision is characterized by trusting in God's love. Mission-oriented prayer for provision is characterized by trusting in God's love. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The Father sees you. The Father knows you. The Father loves you. The Father values you as his person who is on mission. Remember that prayer we prayed our Father in heaven and imagined ourselves in the tent of our Heavenly Father, in the tent of an earthly Father who is managing his farm, managing his shepherds, and we're one of his shepherd sons. He values us as his shepherd sons. He adores us as his shepherd's sons. He loves us. He is not going to cause us to uh, be in starvation, unable to carry out the mission. We may have times of hunger. We may have times when we're cutting it close. But he loves us, and he's going to care for us. So we need to allow him to love us in this and to reduce the anxiety that we carry over our provision There have been lots of anxious moments in Anna and my life and Anna and my marriage where we've been in places where we've prayed very anxious prayers. There have been times when we simply did not have enough money or enough food uh, to do the thing that we called to do. We know what it's like to look around the house and say, gosh, what can I sell here to be able to go To the grocery store Uh, when we were in northern saskatchewan in the first months of our marriage we were pastoring two little churches and working with uh, the beautiful beautiful cree people in that area our heart is is breaking with them right now around the story of the residential schools our hearts breaking with our cree friends um We were, you know, there were moments where we were so anxious but so grateful for local gardeners who would come by our house and would just bring carrots and leave them on our doorstep. We were so grateful for people who would uh, drop by eggs. We were so grateful for uh, this old farmer in the church who would uh, sometimes come and and shake our hands and and shake my hand and there would be a $20 bill left in it when he was done. anxiety in my heart, but God was always providing. We remember moments when we were students in New York State and attempted to put Canadian quarters in the laundry machine because you could buy an American quarter, uh, but it cost 30 cents Canadian to buy 25 cents American. So if we put Canadian quarters and we were saving 5 cents, uh, add that up, and that's like 25 cents per load of laundry. If you consider you're going to dry it and not put it on a line, that's like 50 cents per load of laundry. And that's like Serious cash that we can use to take to uh, Wegmans to buy groceries, right? <laughs> like, we're thinking at that level uh, as, as sort of starving students. Uh, can we put a little bit of diesel in our car to go back home and visit our family? Anxious moments, fearful moments. I uh, remember uh, when we were youth pastors in Toronto, our staple meal for weeks on end was like microwaved cabbage, and we would sprinkle some Frank's Red Hot on it for a little bit of flavor and sprinkle some Parmesan cheese on it to, you know, for heavy protein, right? Like, and we would eat like that for weeks on end because we just weren't being paid much. We were, but we were trying to do the mission, trying to do it and trying to survive. And, and that was anxious prayers. When we were in New Brunswick, uh, we had just, I mean, we'd, it was a huge step. We just bought our first home, $74,000 for this really <laughs> massive house, which was crazy. But we could barely make those mortgage payments at $74,000. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh man, how are we going to do this? And literally having to take the saxophone that I got when I was like in grade eight and this beautiful instrument that I love to pray and taking it and walking it down to a pawn shop so that I could go buy insulin to provide for the needs of my wife, right? These are anxious moments. But, and the reason I tell you about them, the reason I tell you like how close it was, and the reason I tell you about the anxiety that is in my heart over that, is because when I look at those very, very anxious moments, in retrospect, one thing is really, really clear to me. I have never once had pain in my heart or pain in my stomach when I was praying because my belly was actually empty. Not once have we experienced a a lapse in God's provision that caused us to starve as pastors and as ministers and as missionaries. Not once. Every single time when I look back at those stories, the pain and the anxiety and the anxiousness in my heart was there because of fear. It was there because somewhere deep inside I didn't actually believe that God would provide for me. I didn't actually trust Him. I didn't actually believe that he maybe wouldn't abandon us, or would, would I, I believe that he might stop caring for us, that he might leave us alone, that we had made a bad decision and he was just going to leave us to twist in the wind. Very often, our anxious prayers don't at all speak to the actual physical needs that we have. Very often, our anxiety and prayer uh, speaks to a need for spiritual food. It speaks to a need for spiritual nourishment. It speaks to a need for the presence of Jesus. All of our deepest fears behind all of them, at the very root of them, is not a longing for natural bread at all. We are longing for spiritual bread. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are actually longing for Jesus. And what I want to say to us today, that as we pray, give us this day our daily bread to look behind your anxieties and your fears and find that in that place where you fear being abandoned, where you fear being left, where you fear not being cared for, you'll find back in that place, Jesus waiting to say, I love you. I care for you. I've got this. I will not let you fall. He loves you. That doesn't mean we're not going to have hungry moments. That doesn't mean we're not going to have moments when it's not close. But in those moments, we will always, always find him. And that is the spiritual food that we're really actually hungry for. We're going to do a song uh, now. We're going to worship. We're going to do, Lord, I need you. I wanna encourage you as you worship, uh, maybe you wanna send somebody to the kitchen, I'm gonna give it over to Matt to do communion. We've been talking about this uh, prayer uh, for bread and we're going to just walk through it in communion in just a few moments with Matt leading, breaking bread together, um, trusting in Jesus' salvation together, reminding ourselves of the true spiritual food that is our real holy provision. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.